You did a good job. <laughs> Thank you. So we're going to look today at a uh, familiar passage from uh, John 21, verses 1 through 19. Um, as uh, Kevin pointed out earlier in the service, you know, part of what's going on here is that Jesus is revealing himself uh, to his disciples. And so part of the thing that you might miss about this is, is that what Jesus is revealing about himself is that he's risen from the dead, right? And that's certainly true. What he's revealing about himself certainly is that, uh, that he's the son of God. Uh, but this text that we're going to look at today is, re- is, is showing us something about who this Jesus is. It's not just that he's the Christ, that he's the son of God, but how is he that to us, right? And so we're going to read here in just a few minutes this text where Jesus meets some tired, hungry, guilty, shame, uh, ashamed, and embarrassed men on a seashore early in the morning. And so here's the thing that I want you to remember this morning as we talk about this is uh, just who, what kind of Jesus is it that's risen from the dead? And who is he to you? And so uh, before I read the text this morning, I want you to uh, to look at, uh, to be reminded of uh, of this um, sermon notes, Brian. So um, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Jesus is going to show that to these disciples in the morning that we're going to read about. Great is your faithfulness. I wanted to read that this morning because I bet you forgot it. I bet you forgot it, right? Um, And so I think it's a a good place uh, uh, for us uh, to start as we as we look at this text and think through this this morning. So so let me pray and uh, and then we'll get going. Lord, thank you that uh, you're not only the risen Lord, but you're the risen Lord who is determined and unchanging in his faithfulness and his love, and that your mercy never gets old, it never wears out, it is always with us and for us. Thank you, Jesus, that uh, we um, can see you, uh, and that, uh, but even more importantly, that you showed yourself to us and to your disciples as the kind of God who serves and loves and cares. So help us with that today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, John 21, verses 1 through 19, this is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. After this, and the this that we're talking about is what we read about last week when uh, Jesus had come to his disciples on Easter Sunday afternoon, and then he comes to them again in the same locked room eight days later, and uh, he deals with Thomas, remember that, and, and uh, uh, tells Thomas to stop doubting and start believing, Right. So after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. 
That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And that's uh, just let me just say something there. You've probably heard some time about Peter. People call him the, the big fisherman. Maybe you've heard that before. Well, this is where that comes from. Not that he was big, but that he was able to haul a net with 153 big fish in it all by himself. Right? So, pretty big guy, I would imagine, that uh, that he was able to do that, right? And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, just a quick editorial comment about this text. You would think that after this, right, that Peter would be the the most remarkably sanctified uh, follower of Christ ever. Well, just in a couple of seconds after this, as they're walking down the beach, uh, Peter turns to Jesus and says, well, what about that guy? What are you going to do with him? Pointing to John. Uh, and Jesus very kindly and very gently says to him, well, that's none of your business. You just, you just do what I told you to do. Follow me and don't worry about what I'm doing with other people. So kind of makes me think, you know, again, whenever I see, uh, people acting like people in the Bible, (laughs) it, it kind of people I know, uh, very well, uh, people like me. What it, what it does for me is it, 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 it reinforces for me just the beauty of this kind of human interaction that's going on here. So here's, here's what I want you to take away from this today. If you've been around church any uh, much, you've probably heard a lot of sermons on this text. This is probably one of, one of the more familiar texts uh, uh, in, the, in the scriptures. But what I want to do for you this morning is, is, is come at this uh, uh, in a little bit different way. And what I want to do this morning is show you how kind, how loving, how patient, and how gentle, and yet how very strong in his demonstration of grace uh, in the gospel and his atoning sacrifice, Jesus is 
to his disciples. And the, and the way I want you, uh, the way I want to do that this morning is show you how Jesus is very pointedly uh, and very deliberately using their memories. Memories of their failures, of their sin, and of their brokenness to overwhelm them with grace. So, Brian, put, put my notes up here, right? So one of the things that I, 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 I've come to see uh, over the last 30 years of doing what I do is how powerful memory is in people's lives, right? And, and the thing that is so profound about that is... Uh, just, you know, just, uh, I, know, I know it's a powerful thing because just this week, you know, there are times where I've been, uh, at the, twice this week I was trying to get some sleep and I wasn't able to sleep because I was remembering things that I'm embarrassed about. Things I'm ashamed of. Right? Things I have regrets about. Right? Um, you know, there are a lot of people that say, you know, I have no regrets. I don't, I, those people are liars or, um, or, uh, they don't know themselves very well or whatever, because, uh, trust me, if you've lived life, uh, in this world, uh, much at all, you better have some regrets, right? The, the, the issue is not whether or not you have regrets, but what, what do you do with them, Right? Um, and, and one of the things that is, is so profound to me about this is, is that, uh, it, it's for many of us, you know, those negative memories of the things we're ashamed of, the things we should have done and the things that we didn't do, the things that we can't go back now and undo, the words we can't go back and unsay or the words we can't go back and say. As, as we look, think about those things and as those things kind of work their way out in our memories and, and, the, and the way we, uh, think about that is, is, is what we do with it, right? But even more important, honestly, we spend a lot of time in our culture thinking about what we do with that. And there's a lot of stuff about forgiving yourself and all of that. And I got to tell you, I don't like that. (laughs) I really don't. Because what's more important uh, and, and what really counts is not so much what you and I do with our memories, but coming to grips with what Jesus does with them. Right. And how he handles them and how he handles us in that. Right. And I don't want you to fall into the trap this morning of thinking, oh, well, I know what he's going to say. Jesus just blows them off. Jesus just acts like they're not a big deal at all. That's that's not the case at all. Jesus is very direct about our sin. And that's the whole point of the atonement. Right. That's the whole point of the work that Christ has done on our behalf. And so what Jesus is doing on this seashore, this lake shore, to his disciples, with his disciples, is something that's really profound. It's not just restoring Peter, and it's, it's not just um, that, although those things are important. He is getting at the, the, the nature of the work that he accomplished on the cross and his resurrection and showing them that he was the same, he's the same Jesus now after the cross and resurrection that he was before. Just as he cared for them, just as he lived with them, worked with them, provided for them, fed them, cared for them, taught them, just as he did that before he died and rose again, he's still doing it in their lives. So his grace, his mercy, his care, his love for them has not changed. But at the same time, he's also helping them come to grips with the fact that these men that we see in this text today are men that are filled with regret. 
They are men that are filled with guilt. They're men that are filled with shame. They're men who for eight days, eight days, even after Jesus has come to them and said peace to them, spoken over them, blown the Holy Spirit on them. They stayed locked behind closed doors for eight days. And now here they are in in the midst that sometime later, uh, what are they doing? In their regret and in their fear and in their shame. What are they doing? Well, we'll look at what they're doing, right? So, so what do you think the disciples had been remembering since Jesus' death and resurrection? Well, we know what Peter's been remembering, right? His denials. How could he not remember it? I mean, the, the fact is, have you ever done that to somebody? Have you ever, have you ever, uh, at somebody else's point of need where they really needed you, you purposefully let them down because you were afraid? Uh, because you were embarrassed, you thought you might be, you know, somebody might make fun of you because if you stand up for something or or something like that. The fact of the matter is, I can't imagine that Peter, is it's not on his mind. And if you think it's not on his mind, Jesus knows it's on his mind. Because why would Jesus go through that exercise with him of asking him three times if he loved him? Right. You denied me three times. Let's talk about that to kind of get at Peter's heart and to change his orientation right towards this Jesus who's for him, who loves him to kind of reorient the way he's thinking about his life. Imagine if Nathaniel is there with them. He's remembering that when they said that Jesus came to him the first time and said, you know, Jesus is from Nazareth. And he's like, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, isn't it funny? A lot of the regrets that we have, and I, I know a lot of the regrets that you have, probably aren't giant technicolor sins, although, you know, there's plenty of that in this room. But but one of the things that, that, that might be uh, that you have regrets about is you remember uh, offhand comments that you made. Right? Smart Alex, sarcastic, in my case, stuff I said. Right. And then then there's the times where you probably bragged or or uh, in a in a more subtle way, because we don't really brag, but we do brag in our own kind of subtle ways or kind of put ourselves forward. Well, remember when James and John went to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, you know, when you come into the kingdom, man, you know, let us sit right next to you. We want the seats of power. Right. And here they are now after watching him be crucified and then interacting with him twice since his resurrection. What are they going to think? And then right before this uh, uh, incident that we read about there on the seashore, Thomas, the doubter that Jesus has to very gently but very directly rebuke, right? So one of the reasons why I know that there's a lot of regret and a lot of fear and a lot of shame here is not just because they're hiding, but this, this also speaks to me because this is the way I do things. When I feel bad about myself, when I feel ashamed, when I feel like I'm a failure or I'm not doing a very good job or or somehow or other I, I, I wish I could do something better or I, I, I need to work off some kind of guilt or something like that, you know what I do? I will give myself to go and do something that I know I can do, right? I might stink as a disciple, right? But I remember... How to fish. So, you know, I'm failing miserably at being a follower of Jesus. I denied him. You know, he's had to show up twice to say peace to me. You know, I'm a lousy disciple. But you know what? 
I'm a competent fisherman, and I will feel better about myself if I go out here and give myself to doing something that I know I'm good at. Because I'm good at that, right? (laughs) You ever worked your guilt off or your regret off or feeling bad about yourself that way? I can do this. I do it all the time, all the time. Uh, and 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 it, it's a it's a funny way that that works with us, right? I mean, I, I don't think they're thinking, well, Jesus is done. We don't have any more ministry or anything. I think they're thinking we're done. We didn't do such a great job, even though he's come and spoken peace to us and he's revealed himself to us. You know what? I, I, I'm going to deal with my regret and my guilt by giving myself over to some sort of competency that I have. And so I can now feel better about myself. We really love that in our culture, right? Because competency... Uh, matters way more than uh, faithfulness, love, patience, kindness, right? So we'll just give ourselves to that. So I think that's what Peter and the boys are doing here. They're thinking, well, we we're, we kind of stunk at this, but we can do this. And if we can do this, we'll feel better about ourselves, right? So they go fishing. And guess what? Jesus is so good to them. They fail at that. <laughs> Right. They thought they were such good fishermen. They thought, you know what, we're going to we're going to change the narrative of our lives right here. You know, we're we're no longer the losers. We we can fish. We're good at that. And so they go out and they fish all night long. And what happens? They don't catch a stinking thing. Now, why didn't they catch a stinking thing? Because Jesus didn't want them to catch a thing. He is being merciful to them. He's being gracious to them and bringing them to the very end of themselves on this to say, you know what? You're not going to find a solution to your shame. You're not going to find a solution to your regret. You're not going to find a solution to your fear and your embarrassment and all of those sorts of things in yourself and in your ability to work it off or to kind of redirect your attention away from your failures to your competencies. And there's nothing wrong with competencies. Competencies are good things. The world wouldn't work without it. But your heart won't work. Your life won't work. If the way you want to deal with your sin and your failure and your regret is to give yourself over to something that you believe and that that, that you're good at and somehow or other because you've done that, then you can feel better about yourself. So Jesus knows that. So they go out and they fish all night thinking, you know what? We're going to prove ourselves. We're good fishermen. And what happens? Nothing. They don't catch a blooming thing. And I would, I, you know, I, I, I read, I, I'm so familiar with the story. I love the story. I was thinking about this this week. I would have loved to have been on that boat about the time the sun was coming up when nothing had gone right. I mean, these guys, you know, they were they were kind of at each other's throats on the good days with Jesus. And now their plan of how they're going to get by is falling apart, right? They failed at that. Thank you, Jesus, right? Next slide. So what's going on here? Well, I think Jesus sees this, he understands this, and he's going to sovereignly use the next few events in this story to speak grace and challenge to them about the the nature of his love and the nature of his atoning death for them, right? So, so after remember this this is the when we read this text where Jesus says to them, "Hey boys, have you caught anything?" 
Now, um, do you worship a Jesus who can kindly and gently make fun of you in your seeking after your own competency and your own way? He knows they haven't caught anything. Jesus is funny. Now, maybe you're like, I probably wouldn't have thought he was funny. And, uh, but because he's making fun of them, I think he's funny, right? <laughs> so, so, so the fact is, he is, he is kind of redirecting them away from this. And, but he's also reminding them, you know, there was another time where uh, Jesus met the boys there on the beach and they had fished all night and they hadn't caught anything. And after Jesus was done using one of their boats to teach, he said, turned to Peter and said, hey, if you push out into the deep water and put your nets down, you'll catch some fish. And remember what Peter said. Hey, boss. That's what he said. That's the language that he used there. Hey, boss, you don't really know what you're talking about, but because you said that, we'll go out and do it. And the net filled up and it broke. Because, and Peter realized, oh, Something else is going on here. So Jesus is using his first interaction where he called them as his disciples. Now, as the risen Christ there on that, on that seashore, as they're, they're doing this to remind them of, you know what I called you to do and to be is to follow me. I promised you I would make you fishers of men. And your failures have not negated that. Okay. Secondly, the other thing to note about this is so Peter sees him and and when John realizes that that it's Jesus, he jumps off the boat and he swims ashore. And when he gets to shore, he finds Jesus there with a charcoal fire where he's cooking some fish and some bread. Now, I've never noticed this before until this week. But as I was looking at that, the fact that that, that they used the word charcoal jumped off, jumped out off the page at me just because I think. That's interesting, you know. He didn't have a propane grill out there, right? He had a he had a he had a charcoal grill. At, no, that's not it at all. But that it jumped off at me because I was thinking, you know, it's just been a couple of weeks, and Peter was warming himself by a charcoal fire, specifically a charcoal fire in in the uh, house of the high priest when Jesus is on trial. Now, uh, allow me a little psychology 101 thing here. You know, we know about brains, and one of the things we know about brains is is that uh, smell is a profound provoker of memory, right? So there Peter is smelling the charcoal fire. You remember, Peter, the last time you smelled a charcoal fire, what you were doing? Maybe that's going on there. I don't know. But I think if it were me and I saw a charcoal fire, I I would be hoping that I would smell fish and bread and not the smell of the charcoal. Because the last time that happened, I cursed and blasphemed and denied I knew Jesus to his face. 
And it's interesting here that Jesus is serving them some fish and some bread, right? Because, again, he had done that in Matthew 14 where he feeds the 5,000 men plus the women and children. And then in Matthew 15 where he feeds the 4,000. And and so here they are again. Jesus is basically saying to them, listen, you know, I called you into this. I did the work of atoning for your sins. I did the work of 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 of, of dealing with you as the failures uh, and the, the heaped up failures that you have. And I'm going to show you that I'm still for you. I'm still with you. And my commitment to you has not changed. And so Jesus is purposefully using these events to remind them of things that he had done for them in the past, things that they had done in the past, and now how he is providing for them, right? Because if you notice, after they fished all night, the last time Peter's by a fire, the, the, the fish and the bread where he fit, fed the 4,000 and the 5,000. Do, do you recognize those things that in each one of those things, the disciples had failed, right? The disciples failed uh, because they kind of mocked Jesus and they went along with him when they put the boat out that first time. And they were shocked. Peter certainly failed in his denials. Remember when Jesus, gave, when the 5,000 were there and he said, you give them something to eat. And they were like, are you on drugs? We got nothing, right? Just got a little fish and a little bread here. And then he uses the three questions, do you love me, to restore the three times denier, right? And I think it's a, I think it's a pretty profound thing that Jesus is, is, is using these things, using these events to kind of overturn these memories and these regrets that these disciples have to reassure them, to let them know that his grace has not changed, his commitment has not changed, his care for them has not changed. He is still with them. He is still for them. And and praise God, Jesus doesn't carry grudges. Right? Next slide. So you might have wondered when you when we did the New Testament reading this morning that we've got that text where Paul's going to Damascus to to kill Christians. What does that have to do with anything? Well, it has everything to do with it. Do you think Paul had regrets about that? Do you think Paul looked back on his life? He certainly mentioned it numerous times when he thought when he talked about himself as being the chief of sinners he wasn't just talking about you know he swiped some bubble gum from the drugstore once you know he actually wanted to kill christians and he held the coats of the men who killed stephen right and yet jesus in his grace and his mercy reached into his life and his mercy and his grace wasn't just a blank check now that wasn't just just a covering for his sin it was it was a covering for his sin it was atonement for his sin it was reassurance of the love of god for him and that changed paul and it saw into paul and it changed peter you see, the grace and the mercy that God shows here, the, the kindness that Jesus demonstrates in feeding his disciples and in rebuking them very gently and caring for them, uh, what does it do? It causes them to repent. It causes them to change, right? And so I think this is, a, this is a pretty profound thing. Listen, I know in this room this morning, uh, there are people here who are ashamed. Oh, you're you're uh, you're doing a great job of showing you're not. But I know you're ashamed. Um, 
And I know there are things uh, that you reflect on and things that are true about you that you uh, are terrified that if somebody found that out about you, your reputation in the church would be ruined. Right? Right? Well, I've got news for you. Jesus was there when you did that. (laughs) He saw it. Just as he saw Peter's denial and he turned and he looked at it. So you can hide yourself in your locked room or you can hide yourself in your seeking competency and and you kind of want to counterbalance your failures with your ability to do things. And yet Jesus sees that and in his love and his mercy, he's not having any of it. You see, this is the way this works. Because what Jesus is doing here is he is showing them and showing us that the pathway to deal with your regrets and the pathway to dealing with uh, these things that you're ashamed of is to confess them and to look to him to change you, to reorient you, to give you the humility to be able to look at this and to entrust yourself to his atoning sacrifice for you. It cost Jesus a lot to do this. He had to die to be able to forgive Peter. He had to die to be able to uh, uh, say to these failing disciples, peace be to you. And now I commission you to go and do this work. He had to die to be able to appear to Saul and say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? And so when we come to grips with that, that puts our attempts at competency, that puts our attempts at bragging and, and trying to show one another that, you know, don't, don't look at this thing over here that I'm doing. Look at this good thing over here or, or the, the kind of way in which we try to manage these failures and these things that, that we're ashamed of. Jesus just blows right through that and comes right at us with the truth about ourselves, but even more wonderful the truth about what he's done. And it undoes us, right? It changes the way uh, we look at ourselves and, 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 and we, we pray and we hope it changes the way we look at one another. Um, sometimes uh, we use words like we're on a journey to God, right? And it's, it's if I'm trying to find God, I'm trying to find Jesus. But, you know, Jesus is like a, a three-year-old, you know, who's playing hide and seek. And just when you think you're about ready to get them, they squirm and move off and you got to keep looking for them and that kind of stuff. The, the fact of the matter is that's a, that's a bad way to think about your life. And it's a, it, there's nothing wrong with thinking about being on a journey with Jesus, certainly. Um, but the fact of the matter is there is somebody who's on a spiritual journey and there is somebody who is moving, but it's not us. It's Jesus coming to us. You see, what's happening here to these disciples is they're like, we got to do something. We got to figure something out to do with our guilt. So let's go do this. And, and, and they're not running to Jesus, are they? Jesus runs to them. He comes to them. He talks to them. He is warm towards them. He provides for them and he's caring for them. The risen Christ 
is that. That's who he is. That's who we worship. Uh, that's uh, the one uh, uh, that cares for us uh, this morning. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The gifts of God for the people of God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Almighty God, our creator and redeemer, you love your church and you have saved us by your grace. You have clothed us in the righteousness of your son. You are the eternal and faithful God. Yet we confess that we daily attempt to hide from you. We have willfully sinned against you and our neighbor, failing to see and trust you. We have forgotten you. Forgive and deliver us, good Lord. Renew your people by your grace, that our lives and lips might sing your praise to the glory of your name. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 